This is The Guardian. Also mittlerweile ist das echt nervig hier. Seit der McCrispy da ist, höre ich nicht mal mehr meinen Presslufthammer. Unser lautestes Trick, der neue McCrispy mit 100% aus dem Hähnchenfilet. Jetzt nur bei McDonalds. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Two redemption arcs for the price of one at Old Trafford. Harry Maguire's goal and Andre Anana's penalty save in injury time. Eric Ten Hag's men paper over the crevices for the third game in a row, but it keeps them in contention to get through to the knockouts. Meanwhile, a big win for Arsenal in Seville. Gabriel Jesus at the centre of everything good. David Rea so close to softly punching up the noise in capitals over the Arsenal goalkeeper conundrum. Elsewhere, Bayern beat Galatasaray, but have a tough old time doing it. Jude Bellingham is still good, and so is Vinicius Junior, while Inter and Napoli both win. Elsewhere, we'll pay tribute to Bill Kenwright, discuss Spurs going back to the top of the Premier League, find out where Jefferson Lerma actually is and see how Mark Langdon feels about eggs. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, necessary after that is Mark Langdon. Hello. Hi, Max. Uh, Lars Sivertson, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Nicky Bandini. I quite like eggs. I don't know if that's, you know, a general question, if it's just for Mark, but I think eggs are all right. Yeah, too, it's too early. That, that is a, that is, that's end of part three right, situation, Nikki. Mm, also keen on eggs. Uh, let's start at Old Trafford. Neil writes, Darren Fletcher announced on commentary that Harry Maguire had gone from the outhouse to the penthouse. Also, Andre Anana showed his ability to the world. Are these the greatest redemptions since Shawshank? Um, I guess, Nikki, it's, it's impossible not to be pleased on an individual level for both Harry Maguire and Andre Anana. You just shan't throw in Shawshank out there. And all I can think of now is Shawshank Redemption, forever coloured by the David Squires, Arsene Wenger and Gunnosaurus Shawshank. <laughs> so whenever I think of that movie, now it's all I can picture is Gunnosaurus Rex on the beach giving Arsene a, a hug. Um, I think it's... it's one of those sort of nights that's a brilliant story for journalists, isn't it? Because it's Harry Maguire and it's Andrea Nana and they've been this villains of the piece so far this season. And they're sort of these villains who, despite their mistakes, both continue to sort of have a certain amount of self-confidence and back themselves. And that makes them even more into these caricatures. But I'm not certain how much it means in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it was it was a good penalty save for him from Anana. And I think that to, to some extent, Anano has has been the keeper that I think those of us who watched his last season knew he was. He, he can be a very good shot stopper. He can be a very good distributor, but he's not without his mistakes. And I don't think those mistakes are suddenly going to vanish because he made this save. Um, and Harry Maguire, who is a centre-back, scored a goal, which is not Harry Maguire's main job. I mean, it's it's great. It's good for him. It's good for United. Getting three points in the group is obviously massive because if they hadn't got the win, then they would be on, on the cusp of going out at this point. Um, a little bit heartbreaking for FC Copenhagen, by the way. I've played really well throughout this group and can't seem to quite get across the line anywhere. A result worth celebrating. I'm not trying to do down the importance of it because for United, this is the difference between really thinking they can get through this Champions League group or not, I think. But it, whether or not it transforms the, the tales of Onana and Maguire at a stroke, I'm, I'm a bit less convinced. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I just hope this isn't the first thing that Andre and Harry listen to 
in in the morning. I mean, if it was, I I like Andrea Nana as goalkeeper. I think he did good things at Inter last season, but I also think, I mean, I think this is the the era that we live in, um, with with media and social media in particular. I think we're only allowed to discuss things as being the best in the world or the worst in the world. And I think Andrea Nana is neither of those things. I think he's a a goalkeeper with with some traits that are very um, useful and and sometimes brilliant, but I don't think he is in the category of very best goalkeepers in the world. I think there's there, there can be a category of good beneath that, and that's where I think he occupies. Yeah, I think for Harry Maguire, Mark, there is something about the fact that he's always being interviewed after either he or the the team he's playing for have been shit. And it's nice that, and okay, they were pretty bad yesterday, but at least he gets the, you know, he does front up. He has that resilience, which he has definitely needed. He has needed, um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people um, would have, you know, you could easily forgive somebody for, for hiding in those situations and actually maybe even asking Gareth Southgate to take him out of the England squad, you know, for his, for his own good at, at times because uh, it's been relentless. I think um, people on the pod have spoken before about, you know, maybe he should have just left in the summer and there would have been less criticism of, of him had he gone to, you know, and, and taken a step down, but he backed himself to get back into the side. He obviously played well um, at Sheffield United um, on Saturday evening. Um, this game, I agree with Nicky in terms of, you know, it's not Harry Maguire's main job really to score um, the, the goals and defensively I think there were still structural issues it's not just down to Harry Maguire clearly it's a whole um, team thing but for him on an individual basis you could see how much it meant to him and when they went for the goal check and you know the potential offside that was quite late uh, there, there was a part you know, I, was, I was really willing the goal to stand even though Copenhagen had deserved something <laughs> out of the game there was just something in there thinking don't let this happen to Maguire as well. Like he really didn't, you know, he 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 didn't need that um, uh, as well. So yeah, I think it was a nice moment. Um, you know, if you want to sort of analyse Manchester United in sort of the grander scheme of things, then there is still a lot of work um, to be done. But at least they won this game. And just on the Maguire redemption arc situation. It was an incredibly important goal. I mean, I think that's worth stating here, right? Because a couple of years ago, he was under fire quite a lot for for, and and then he kind of scored a goal for England against Albania and celebrated by doing like a big knee slide with his fingers in his air and stuff. And I was just thinking, lad, like settle down, it's, it's Albania. But this was massive for the club, right? I mean, because this game was not comfortable for them at all. I think they were second best throughout for for most of it, for a lot of it anyway. It got better in the second half. And if they hadn't won, that that group doesn't look good at all. Because you bear in mind, they've got to go away to FC Copenhagen, who are much better at home. And this is a team who've you know made things awkward for Bayern, took a two-goal lead against Galatasaray and made things awkward for, for United at Old Trafford. So going to Copenhagen is not going to be easy. And they have to play Galatasaray away, which, based on their performance against Bayern, will definitely not be easy. So if they hadn't won here, I, I think they've been in huge trouble. And I think they're still possibly in trouble in this group. But the goal mattered a lot. And it is interesting that in these last couple of weeks, when things have nearly gone into one of the sort of Man United managerial rain death spirals that we've seen so many times, they've been able to sort of steady the ship a little bit. And it's been like McTominay and now Maguire, who's kind of stepped up and kept the kept the train vaguely on the tracks. Because I think that they're still bad, 
And but they just need to get to next weekend now. They need to get to the next game without things exploding completely, so that Ten Hag can buy himself some time to fix it. And it's it's yeah, it's McTominay and Maguire who's helping him. And yet, Mark, they're still garbage, right? I mean, that, like like, <laughs> but they really could have lost these three games, right? And these were like the the sort of run of winnable games, which began, I think, with what. Palace that they lost it was it Palace at home? Yeah, they 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 lost to Palace. Then they beat Brentford mm. very late on. You know, didn't uh, play that well at Sheffield United and again against Copenhagen. Uh, Christian Eriksen made a difference in the second half um, in terms of being able to progress the ball up the pitch. The first half performance really. Um, I suppose we shouldn't be that surprised because Manchester United keep playing like this and kind of have done for for a long time. And yet we do come on after every result and just feel sort of a bit shocked that they've played like this. But he, I, I think this has been a dip for, from last season. And Ten Hag, if I was looking at United now and I'm thinking, well, you can't progress the ball up the pitch very well. Your presser's um, all over the place. Like those are two absolute fundamentals, really, for a coach in terms of like the processes that you just do sort of day in, day out, and you know if you're relying on that kind of Harry Maguire um, sort of switch ball um, that works at Sheffield United, but I don't, you don't see too many top teams sort of playing that way too often. You know, most of them try to go through um, midfield, and then I look at some of the players like Anthony, just like like what what's he doing? Like what 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 is he's kind of role in that team and I, I, I don't see it and Hoyland looked isolated in the first half and they couldn't get Fernandes on the ball and you know Amrabat and McTominay um, I'm not sure that's the right sort of partnership really but then when they put Ericsson in defensively they've they, they've looked worse in the Premier League so you kind of fix one um, sort of problem and then another one pops up so um, I, I, I still think there is much work to do and of course you know, Man City at home at the weekend is um, the kind of games that it, maybe it sparks them into life and you can play on the counter-attack and they've done that before. But if it kind of goes the way that United have been playing, um, it, it has the potential to get em- embarrassing. It doesn't always work out like that, but they, they really need to improve. Tributes were made to Sir Bobby Charlton before the game. Um, Nicky, you mentioned David Squires already today. His cartoon, his Bobby Charlton cartoon is a thing of absolute beauty. And um, he's a lovely man, David Squires. He listens. And uh, uh, that was really good, David. <laughs> Just letting you know. But like everybody, um, he's got an amazing ability uh, to either make you laugh or make you cry. So let's uh, go and have a look at it. Um, oh, Lars, you wanted to mention Chris Eriksson and Falk. What's Falk's name? Mr. Falk. Well, yeah, Rasmus Falk and Christian Eriksen. It was just nice. Um, someone else on, on Twitter whose name I forgot picked this up that they were playing against each other. It was, by the way, by my reckoning, I think it was the first time in Christian Eriksen's career that he's played against the Danish team. That has apparently not happened before, which given he's played quite a lot of football games, that's interesting. But no, he played against Rasmus Falk, who he grew up uh, playing uh, together, which is always nice when these sort of things happen after a long career. And also, some people might enjoy this, they're from a place in Denmark called Middelfart. Excellent. Which is what the place is called. Thank you, Lars. And uh, people, yeah, and the people who will snigger at that can snigger at that. Is there an upper and lower fart or not? <laughs> well, I mean, it should be. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's also um, Rasmus Hoyland played against his, his brother, didn't he? Oscar came on in the second half. Even more uh, excitingly, there was a lot of Danish stuff going on. There was one moment where, like, United's best move of the game was. Uh, it was Hoyland leaving it for uh, for uh, Christian Eriksen in the box, and he nearly had like 
two Danes combining to score against the Danish team. It was a complete Danish takeover at Old Trafford uh, yesterday. <laughs> also in this group, Bayern Munich won 3-1 at, at Galatasaray. Uh, Mark, they were lucky in this game, I thought. I mean, I thought Galatasaray really pushed them. And of course, they've got more quality in the end, Kane and Musiala. But this was not straightforward. Absolutely not. Now, Galatasaray so brave um, in the way that they played for an hour. Um, Orik, the Bayern Munich goalkeeper, has received a lot of criticism for his performances while he's standing in uh, for Manuel Neuer, but actually um, had, had a big part really in buying sort of remaining at 1-1 um, for, for so long. I really enjoyed the way that Galatasaray went at Bayern Munich and um, made life difficult for them. Um, when you do play like that, you... you can leave yourself vulnerable, particularly if you don't take your chances. And, you know, Musiala, um, for the first goal, he's heavily involved in the turn and then also, um, you know, scores what, what turns out to you know, the goal that really takes the game away um, from, from Galatasaray. But as uh, has been mentioned earlier, I think that performance from Galatasaray shows just how much of a job United will have, you know, if they need to go to Istanbul to like win that game or even get a point. I, mean, I think it's, it's going to be a really difficult game um, for them. And also, um, Icardi doesn't like to take normal penalties, does he? He, he won't. He, he no. kind of wants to, um, <laughs> sort of, you know, he, he won't just sort of roll it into the corner. But uh, a nice Penenka this time, and it, it went well. Yeah, nice Penenka in front of that big set of Galatasaray fans was pretty awesome. Um, Harry Kane, Lars, well, wasn't brilliant, but scored and got an assist. In his 12 games so far, he's got 11 goals and six assists. I think that's where he unsurprising isn't it that he is being successful at a good football team I'm, I'm very honoured that you've thrown the most obvious Barry question of the pod so far <laughs> <laughs> Harry Kane's good isn't he Lars yes no he's been, he's been fantastic and uh, you're right he, he missed uh, you know he missed a couple of chances and this this wasn't his best game but he got there in the end, you know. He he is he he is he seems pretty inevitable. It's nine goals and eight in the Bundesliga, seven and six in the uh, seven and six in the Champions League would be quite something. Two and three <laughs> in, the, in the Champions League. This is me reading off numbers off my notes, and uh, but yeah, uh, he's scoring a lot of goals, uh, and he's he's very very good. But I, I do think there's something. I I, I know. Uh, yeah, let's focus on Galatasaray being good. That's fun. But I was was watching the first half, and I'm just kind of waiting for. Okay, this is interesting, but surely at some point Bayern will wake up, and, and they just kind of didn't. It was more the case of of Galatasaray eventually running out of steam, and I don't know. I, it, 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 it's um, they're not great uh, at the moment, Bayern. They are kind of ticking along and getting it done domestically, but they're not. The, the expectations are pretty high, and they're going to have to be quite a lot better if they're going to fulfill them this season. I don't think that's exactly an original observation, but uh, this was not amazing from Bayern either. Uh, in Group B, Arsenal won 2-1 in Seville. Nicky Gabriel Jesus was brilliant in this game, wasn't he? His turn for the goal, finish for the second. I mean, grave danger of asking a "is he underrated?" question. He, <laughs> he, do, he does so. He does so much for that team, doesn't he? Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think he sort of came in with some criticism after the Chelsea game as, as having not impacted that game enough. And then the response in this game was absolutely, as you say, a, a game-winning performance. I thought the, um, the the turn for the first goal was, was brilliant. Although I also thought um, Martinelli converted that really well. Sometimes when you see those sort of long runs through on goal like that, you think there's too much time to think. It's too much time for the striker to 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 overthink what he's going to do and to get it wrong and, and just ended up making it look as, as easy as anything just to glide past the keeper and score. Um no, I, I, I Arteta's spoken about it quite a lot, hasn't he? He's, he sort of described Jesus not only as this 
very effective footballer on the pitch and what he can do, but as one of those players who brought in the change of mentality, who upgraded Arsenal from being a team that just has this idea of, well, that lacks an idea, I suppose, of, of where it's trying to go to being a team that's very focused on winning and and believing it belongs and, and can belong in the elite of English and European football. And um, certainly in a, in a difficult spot, Sevilla obviously haven't had the best start to the season, but with a new manager and, and some sense of uplift coming from that and in a stadium that was, as I suppose it's quite predictable, it's probably a bit boring to say a stadium comment in Champions League nights. Most of the stadiums were, were brilliant that I saw last night, but a stadium certainly that was up for it. Um, that goal before halftime really took the sting out of things and it, it owed a lot to a moment of, of brilliant invention from Jesus. And, and, and also Declan Rice, Mark, was brilliant in this game, especially at the end when like Arsenal were hanging on a little bit. He really, he just he sort of felt he was carrying everyone on his shoulders and the way he sort of gallops like a racehorse is is tremendous. Yeah, I and I think that actually kind of there is more to his game than just sitting in, in front of the defence and you know, he wants to get more involved and um, I, f- I think Arteta is is trying to do that in terms of the carrying um, the, the ball forward. It has kind of, he's sort of scored some very important goals already um, this season, uh, of course, but yeah, he slotted in um, seamlessly, really, and it, it was a lot of money that, that Arsenal paid um, for him, but it feel it feels sort of sensible um, to kind of spend the money like that because it was a position that um, I think Arsenal needed to upgrade in, um, and it is like a plug in and play type play. You know, he's needed no time really to adjust, even though Arsenal play very differently um, to West Ham. Um, you know, he, he seems to have kind of understood that um, quickly um, and as as made Arsenal. I think he, he, he sort of on paper he makes them a better team. I suppose we haven't seen that necessarily in terms of the overall throughout this season. But um, you know, if he can carry on at, at those standards, and then you get Martinelli and Saka, you know, fully fit and Jesus playing like he did um, in, in Seville, then you know, you you've got the makings of a, a very strong team. If anything, the problem for Arsenal is that they only have one of them, one of him, because. He's their best holding midfielder and increasingly like their best box-to-box midfielder as well. And it's a question of, I've always felt that he'd be better off in his career focusing on like becoming the English Rodri, you know, because there's so many great, there's so few great number sixes in world football. It's an incredibly difficult role to fill. People say, but, but he wants to be more involved going forward. And given how well he carries the ball, uh, maybe there's logic to that and, and the last couple of games when Jorginho has been in there and he's had more license to roam around you, you do see what a complete midfielder he is and uh, yeah he's he's very 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 impressive for the narrative Nicky I was slightly um slightly disappointed that that David Raya little punch at the end didn't just <laughs> fly under the bar to see what Arteta would do at the weekend I mean it was I mean the mistake is still the same mistake right and he made mistakes with his feet as well mm-hmm. and you sort of think Ramsdale has to get a go. Like, what's happened? How is Ramsdale getting no opportunities when Raya is not really playing very well? I, I do think we need to remind ourselves sometimes the Premier League season is not yet ten games old. So when we talk about no opportunities. There's quite a lot of season left to go, Max. And 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 I think it sort of makes. I I can see the logic as a manager when you make that choice. When you make the choice to to give the the, the job to a goalkeeper who has come from outside. If you're going to put him in the team, you don't just put him in for one game, right? You say, right, we're going to give you a run of games, going to give you like a, a full chance to, 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 for us to look at you as well as anything. And, and I think that's reasonable. I think you have to bear in mind, of course, the last game Ramsdale wasn't even available. So we, when we talk about 
those opportunities there haven't been that many um i do think he's he's making some big mistakes and i, and I do think the um other sort of key point of this is well raya was a big part of why raya's there is because he's considered to be better at distribution and it didn't feel like in this game and in some recent games his distribution has been that hot he didn't complete many passes at all in the first part of this game and I think that all definitely needs to be considered. And if Arteta is going to show himself not to be completely sort of dogmatic on this, to be giving Ramsdale a fair chance, and at some point you you do need to give him another chance. But I I don't know. I, I think it's a, a delicate balancing act because what you can end up doing if you chop and change constantly is to sabotage the confidence of two goalkeepers. And I think that it's a lot easier to to express frustration from the side about it than it is to to make that decision I guess, protecting both keepers to some extent. Nicky's point is well made. That is still early in the season. Nicky very much the voice of reason at the moment, and that's that's good. But I just I think the thing that could be an issue for Arteta is he did say publicly that he's going to rotate them. He did say publicly that this is just going to be another position. I'm not just going to have one guy and then the other guy's the backup. So if Raya continues to look this shaky... At some point, he looks silly because it's clearly like if you had an outfield player who looked as unconvincing as Raya has done recently, you'd drop him. I mean, it wouldn't be a question. Like if you had two fairly evenly matched players for that position and one of them looked this shaky, that guy would be on the bench. So uh, I know you want to give him time to settle and stuff, but this this kind of goes to Arteta's credibility a little bit. Like if he now persists with Raya, even though he clearly isn't comfortable, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that can erode your authority a little bit if people can see actually you're just talking nonsense aren't you you're, you're being dishonest here i guess that one other thing i always want to like put back into this conversation and i and i i hate being the one to do it because I, I really like as a character love aaron ramsdale right i think he's so easy to warm to obviously in, in the um all or nothing documentary he came across very well that pc wrote recently was sort of extremely i don't know extremely honest pc wrote recently and, and talked about his family and his background made you just want the best things for him and, and as a fan I do. But I think you also have to acknowledge that he also made mistakes. I do think this conversation about Raya recently has made it sound like Ramsdale never made a mistake before he was dropped and, and he did. So that, that it's not like you're swapping Raya for Lev Yashin. Um, that, that, that it's more complicated than that. Also, Lev Yashin, a bit long in the tooth at this point. So I'm not sure that would be... <laughs> Probably, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that would be a sort of weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> I mean, it would be quite an issue, wouldn't it? Lev Yashin on a golf cart. Anyway, we probably don't need to go He'd there. He'd be more sensibly positioned for crosses. He wouldn't be standing That's, that far out yeah, in the no, yeah, right. for no reason. Depends who's, depends who's driving the golf cart, really, Lev, <laughs> isn't it? It could be miles out of his bucks. Um, uh, Lance won PSV won. Just a line mark on that equaliser from Lance from El Yawahi, who I was not aware of until uh, last night. But it's an amazing volley. Like, it's... It's sort of unfootball-y. It was, it was like, I've not really seen it before. It, it was um, yeah, a, a player with controversial um, past, um, you know, from for, for his, his time in the French youth teams. But, um, you know, he, he's clearly, uh, and I think maybe that's why one or two bigger teams maybe didn't take the chance in the summer. And he, he's gone to, 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 to Longs instead. Um and it, it was a um, astonishing volley, really, because it's the kind of volley you, you sort of associate maybe with like an Ibrahimovic, where it, it, it doesn't feel like a, a, a kind of natural way um, to, to, to score the goal. So um, he is somebody that is, is definitely, I think, on the radar um, of bigger clubs, and he's made a, a strong start to 
um, life in, in the Champions League. I think PSV will feel like they, they probably should have won um, the, the, the game. They had, they had the sort of the majority of the chances in this game. All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, in part two, we'll look at the rest of the games in the Champions League. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Tristan says, just to let you know, the bloke playing the night before you at the Troxy in London wears a plastic bag on his head and he's already sold out. See you on the 13th. Thanks, Tristan. Yes. Um, Blind Boy, the Topographia Hibernica live tour uh, with a surprise special guest every show, uh, Meditative Evenings, seeks to replicate a private conversation in a public space through the language of theatre in equal parts spontaneously endearing and refreshingly engaging. Undoubtedly, there'll be something for everyone to enjoy. Do not miss it. Well, it's sold out, so you will miss it. So why not come back the next day and we'll try and replicate <laughs> it? Um, happily put a plan. <laughs> that sounds really bad. I, who am I, I going to put? Whose head am I going to put a plastic bag on? Yes, Mark. Max, I was just thinking. Don't you know, don't start getting any ideas after what I did the last time in London, dressing up as yeah. Postman Pat. So um, yeah, yeah. Maybe oh, not. there is that. Yeah. Why did we do that? I had a horse's head on my head once. I should I should stress not an actual horse's head. That would have been a bit bad. But yes, a mask of a horse's head at a live Why? show. Maybe people putting things on their heads is the key to selling out I, that gig. I, is them putting a plastic bag on your head, I mean, famously very dangerous. Yes. I mean, that's a thing you definitely mm. tell kids yeah, not to do. Yeah, it is. Uh, this, this plastic bag, he has eye holes cut out and a mouth hole. So it's kind of a, it's a safe plastic bag I, why did we dress you up as postman Pat? <laughs> uh, because because lars was saved um by a postman and we thought That's it would be it. very funny to uh to say we yeah we we brought the postman it turned out to be me and, and i did a meat raffle i think great Great. So this uh, is the sort of stuff. That's that's the thing that happened. (laughs) So that is the kind of thing that happens at Football Weekly Live. So if you have bought a ticket and that's not what you want, then apologies. If you haven't and you think, actually, I I could have a piece of that. 13th, Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Filippo, Claire, me and Baz. 15th, me, Baz, John Bruin, Nadia Manoeha. And the 22nd, the live stream from Brighton with me, Baz, Nikki and Johnny Lou. Uh, go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Please come along. Let's fill them all. Um, Real Madrid won 2-1 uh, away at Braga. Vinicius Junior was brilliant in this game, as was Jude Bellingham, Nikki. And I mean, I, it, I, we're already, and he's only 20, struggling with what to say about Jude Bellingham. Yeah, I sort of want to say the other thing here as well, which a bit like Copenhagen before, who have not got the results their performance deserve. Praga have actually been really quite competitive in this group, but they've lost both of their important games, which are the ones against Real Madrid and Napoli. And and yeah, I thought they were competitive again in this game. But it doesn't matter when you're playing Real Madrid, because when you're playing Real Madrid, Jude Bellingham will score a winner and then you'll have to go, oh, Jude Bellingham's good again, isn't he? Um, which he is. And, and, and... Perhaps this game wasn't even the most about him. This is a really nice game from from Vinicius as well, from what I saw, and and, and setting up that that first goal for Rodrigo. To some extent, that sort of feels like it's been the recent Real Madrid story, doesn't it? When you think about that that run to winning the Champions League, and you think, well, there were times when other teams came and played really well against them, but in the end, they just score goals when they feel like it, and that's definitely something that this Real Madrid team seems very capable of, and no one more so than Jude. Uh, El Clasico at the weekend. Sid's on tomorrow, so we'll uh, do a bit more uh, of them. Um, I'll come back to you, Nicky, because Napoli won in Berlin. Union, the good guys, having a bit of a bad time at the moment. Nine defeats in a row. We'll get to them in a second, but it's a big result for Napoli, this, isn't it? Yeah, it was It was an odd game, not particularly sort of thrilling game, because Napoli had 
most of the ball, close to two thirds of the ball in the first half. And and yet it was Union Berlin who had far more shots. I was, I'm, I'm reluctant to say chance because a lot of them didn't feel like really clear cut chances. I think they had a lot of half chances and that lack of sort of cutting edge is, is what cost them in the end. It was like they didn't quite know how to, they were, they were creating momentum on the counter, but they weren't necessarily creating these clear opportunities that they needed. Um, and Napoli, without overexerting themselves in the game, obviously they, they've suffered quite a big injury with Victor Rossman, um, now out for about another month after hurting himself while away on international duty. But without overexerting themselves, they just scored the goal they needed to win the game. And it, it kind of was as simple as that. They, they had a lot of the ball, they didn't overexert themselves. And then when they needed to, um, Kvarat Skelia got a little bit lucky that he, he gets the ball sort of rebounded back to him from a defender, but second time around gets a really nice ball to Raspadori down from the byline and, and Raspadori converts it. And it depends, I suppose, all on your framing, doesn't it? Either that's the the mark of a good team to know how to to get those those wins without overexerting themselves or or you could say well they were a little bit lucky it was their first shot on target deep into the second half when they scored um but certainly for for Rudy Garcia who has had a bit of a moment with Antonio Conte being linked to his job during that international break it was a, a welcome tonic and and puts them in a strong position in the group. I just wanted to ask Nikki, Cavarat uh, Scalia um, kind of obviously started last season in fantastic form. Um, kind of hasn't maybe managed that this season. Is there any reason for that? And it, it, I suppose did we overhype him last year, or are there reasons maybe why he's kind of gone backwards a bit this time around? I'd push back on that and say actually the last few games have been better signs than Cavarat Scalia. I think. Actually, if you go back to last season, he didn't score a goal in the last couple of months of last season. It became a whole thing. He didn't score from, I think it was like March through till um, a couple of weeks ago. And during that time, not by coincidence, Napoli's results were much worse than they had been before. When he stopped scoring, there was a a, a direct correlation from there to Napoli not winning games as much anymore. Uh, He does look like he's, he's woken up again a bit. And I actually think this is a really interesting little chapter coming up or already started because one of my complaints with Napoli since Rudy Garcia replaced Luciano Spalletti is I felt like they've gone much more often to what was always the plan B under Luciano Spalletti, which is just send that long ball looking for Osimhen because Osimhen's such a good target that you can do that. And now Osimhen's out and you've got Aspadori in the team. Aspadori is completely different. I mean, he's really sits on that border of is he actually a striker or is he a winger, but he plays up front when, when Osimhen isn't there. And he's a a false nine a lot of the time. He, he vacates the space, but I think him vacating the space creates space for Gratzkelia. And at the weekend, Gratzkelia had a great game and it was those two who combined for the goal here. I think it's it's a very different looking team in terms of how it's going to play the ball without Osman in it. And I think it's going to be even more focus on Gratzkelia. But to, to your point, yes, I, I think he definitely did have quite a long dry spell and I think some of that was clearly confidence when the goals weren't going for him. It, it clearly knocked him. But I think he's showing in the last few weeks already better signs. And now at this point without Osman, the team is going to go as he goes for a while. On only on, you know, because they're a lovely story. It's amazing in the mm-hmm. Champions League, but they're having a rotten old time, aren't they, Lars? It's nine defeats on the bounce now uh, for Union, uh, which is obviously not great. Um, I just looked, looked something up ahead of this, which is very odd. Which is like, I know... Um, 
The second I start talking about XG, people's eyes glaze over and they switch off and, and, and people throw themselves off buildings and stuff. It's, it's not good. But uh, I, actually, their XG difference in the Bundesliga is roughly the same as what it was last season. So like their underlying statistics are almost the same as what they were when they finished fourth in the league last season, whereas now they've lost six on the bounds in the league. So I, they've gone from being a team who were incredibly uh, combative and defended deep and hit people on the counter-attack and kept like just about tilting things into their favor to, to just not being able to do it in quite the same way now i haven't watched them every week this season but it just seemed like they've lost a little bit of uh, uh, of their edge and i certainly think losing uh, uh jordan uh, pifok uh, jordan sibacho the american forward uh, to gladbach has uh, or him going to gladbach has been a negative because he carried the ball well for them and, and was a threat and and Kevin Vollon hasn't been a success. But it's also the whole Bonucci situation is really strange. And I, I would like to hear what Nick, Nicky makes of it, because obviously you'd imagine someone of his pedigree would go to Union and be someone who can sort of carry things for them. But he hasn't actually been a regular in the league. He's only started three games in the league. They've, they've lost all of those. And, and he was dropped for this. And it is reportedly very angry. Uh, Fabrizio Romano reporting that he's not happy at all to this, to start on the bench, and and I, I this sentence tickled me. Bonucci will clarify his situation with the manager Fisher on Wednesday, which I think is pretty amazing. The player will clarify the situation with the manager. Presumably, this chat will be the manager says, "I am the manager. I pick the team. You are a player. You do as you're told," and the situation will be clarified. I don't, I don't know, but, but but is this Bonucci thing being picked up in Italy, Nikki? What do you make of it? It's had a little bit of coverage in Italy, as you expect. What I make of it is that this is perhaps not the first time in Bonucci's career. I mean, of course, remember that was famously that sort of circumstance what led to him leaving Juventus and having what ended up being a sabbatical at Milan was that he um, felt that his voice and his importance to the team was perhaps bigger than it was. And Max Legri said, no, thank you, left him out of a key Champions League game against Porto and it all unraveled from there. And uh, Bonucci's been a brilliant footballer and has won things at Juventus and with the Italian national team uh, that reflect his talent. Um, But I think at 36 years old, his estimation of his own impact might be higher than is his actuality. Uh, in Group D, um, uh, very politely put, in Group D, uh, Real Sociedad uh, 1-1 at Benfica. I mean, they, they uh, uh, topped the group over into on goal difference. What do we need to know about Sociedad, Mark? Well, I think that they... In- it's interesting that they beat Benfica because last season Benfica were kind of that dark horse that people were saying, well, we don't want to draw them in the knockout stages. Could, you know, and then they kind of progressed really well through the competition. So should that look like that team this time around? I thought on match day one, they outplayed into for a good sort of 70 minutes of that game, really should have been out of sight before um, Inter managed to get an, a, a kind of fortunate in terms of the way the game went. Equaliser, they then went to Salzburg again, a quite dangerous and difficult team to deal with, won that game. They've now gone to to Portugal and beaten Benfica. They've made a good start in La Liga. Um, They're they're, they're a a really nice team to watch, play good football and are going to be that kind of awkward opponent that, I mean, I I expect them to kind of um, get out of this group um, alongside Inter and might cause some problems um, in the last 16. They, uh, in someone like Kubo, they've got a player that um, is very direct and I think is is destined for for bigger things. 
I think it's around about six of their starting 11 uh, homegrown. So a, a lot of sort of young talent coming through. Um, and yeah, they, they're, they're, they're a nice team to watch. And um, you know, these teams never win the Champions League, despite everybody getting excited about them sort of, um, you know, in, in, in the group stage. But I, I definitely think that they're one to watch as the season progresses. Good side. Alaska's finest Inter beat Salzburg 2-1. Um, they're doing well, aren't they? Top of Serie A after nine games. They deserve this win as well, I thought, Nikki. Yeah, it was it was one of those wins that um, it briefly went back in the balance because, of course, they went one lap in the first half and, and Salzburg did equalise in the second half. But to me, it felt like a very controlled Inter win. It actually felt like a very... I felt like this was a really mature win Inter. I don't know... Last season on the way to the Champions League final, it felt like they were surprising people still. And even though they weren't remarkable in this game, the fact that they did make some changes weakened their strongest 11, frankly, because they brought in Alexis Sanchez for Marcus Turam. They gave Carlos Augusto, who was a summer signing from Monza, the start of Federico Di Marco at, at wing back. Um, they made some changes. And even after Salzburg equalised, I just thought they're too good not to win this. And I think that Inter have reached a certain level, perhaps after last season, of self-confidence in the Champions League that hadn't been there for a long time. And I think that without question right now, they're the best team in Italy. And without question, they're the team in Italy that I can see going the furthest in this competition. Of course, when you get to the knockout, it all comes down to draws and all the rest of it. But they're the best team in Italy um, right now, for sure. Okay, before we end part two, the next section of the pod is brought to you by TNT Sports. Thank you, TNT Sports. This season, you can stream exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football live on TNT Sports. And we've been asked a desperately taxing question for this bit. Very simply, your favourite Champions League moment. It's like a Fisher-Price question, isn't it? Mm. But it should be some nice memories. Could be a game, a goal, something even more specific. Lars, you can kick us off. Um, it's on my mind now for obvious reasons, but for me, uh, Ali Hall on second goal against PSG uh, a couple of years ago, the shot in the top corner, I think, is uh, my favourite uh, Ali Holland moment. Uh, you might remember it, Mike. I see you're looking towards the heavens as if you've forgotten. Yeah, I was trying to remember it. Was it was just it. before lockdown. It was one of the last games okay. they played before everything closed down. Uh, they were playing uh, PSV, PSV, PSG uh, at home in Dortmund in front of a full house, and... Uh, Alling Holland had joined them quite recently, well, obviously with a big reputation from Austria, but it was still just Austria. And it, 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 some of us believed Max, but for some, the jury was still out. And you know the phrases "tapping merchant" and you know "flat track bully" and all these things were thrown around. And then he came up against PSG and just walloped one in the top corner. And uh, it was one of those where you just kind of heard it hit the net. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible strike and uh, one of my favorite goals ever. And uh, yeah, definitely the my favourite Champions League moment that immediately springs to mind. Is there anywhere I could learn more about Erling Haaland? Last? There's a book coming out on the 2nd of November right. uh, called Haaland, okay. uh, written written by me. And uh, yeah, you, sh- you should buy it. It's, it's very good, apparently. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I like the author. Yeah, I must say. excellent, excellent. Nikki, uh, you you may not have a book out. If, if you have, you can, you can uh, by all means, <laughs> uh, publicise it. But your favourite Champions League moment? There's so many. That's a really hard question. But I think... I. I just come back in my head to a nil-nil draw, oddly, between Arsenal and Real Madrid at Highbury after Arsenal had won. It was on the way to the Champions League final in 2006 after Arsenal had won in Madrid. And uh, there was this sort of frantic nil-all in which actually you'd have thought there'd be some like digging in and cleaning on and just trying to 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 
to not lose, but actually, despite it finishing nil-nil, both teams really went for it, and uh, both teams could have scored. And, and there was some desperate last-ditch defending saves from Lehman. It just was one of those real edge of your seat games all the way throughout that, for some reason, sticks in my mind even more than some others. I mean, going away and watching. Arsenal as a fan not as a journalist watching Arsenal win away at Inter at San Siro was pretty special as well Mark I always thought it would have been the Zidane volley in the, the final at Hamden against Leverkusen um, a, a kind of wow uh, moment but um, it, I am going to take it down the fan route as well um, Max and it's got to as a Spurs fan the Lucas Moura hat-trick goal um, against Ajax Probably seen it about 5,000 times um, and, and never get bored of that kind of Sissoko hoof up the pitch sort of in desperation. Llorente making a nuisance of himself. Very underrated flick from, from Deli Ali, actually, that um, is, is a class moment. And, you know, Lucas Mora, not known for his coolness, I think it's fair to say, um, in front of goal always managed to, to score a goal that, sent me absolutely delirious. You know, Pochettino was on the pitch almost in tears. Hugo Lloris, I mean, he did somebody that's won the World Cup and didn't seem to be, you know, overly fussed about it, you know, in his kind of chilled out way. Legged it from his goal to, to the other end uh, of the pitch. And um, I remember just sort of <laughs> screaming swear words for I, I don't know sort of how many minutes. And um, my friend and broadcaster, Danny Kelly, sent me a picture of himself sort of crying. Yes, and, that's an amazing um, picture, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was sort of in a similar, um, I was in a similar place in, in my mind. And, you know, my wife said that my, sort of, I'd gone all grey over and kind of, um, she, she was a little bit concerned about me. But it was, um, and, and at that time we didn't know um, that, that Spurs would go on to lose the final. So I don't think the actual moment um, c- c- can ever be taken away, the feeling um, that I got for, you know, w- w- once he scored that goal. Yeah, I mean, because Cambridge have never been in the Champions League for, it would be a Tottenham moment. But if you picked me Lucas Mora, I would pick the game at City because I was watching it with in a pub with my oldest friends, Matt Walsh, who's a massive City fan. And we used to, when we were growing up, when we were both shit, we used to go around each other's houses and I wasn't allowed to watch City Spurs at his game because his dad, Jeff, was like, no, I don't know a Spurs fan in the house. I distinctly remember that game where we they had 10 men and John Macken scored a really late header. And that one where, who scored? Was it Sterling or Aguero late on? Ster- Sterling scored yeah. the, um, and what Matt, he thought was the Matt, winner. Yeah, and Matt ran around the pub, sort of like a Neanderthal, you know. <laughs> so he went completely wild. And then when it was overturned, oh, what a moment. Anyway, this isn't just football. This is the Champions League. With TNT Sports, you get exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football along with the best of rugby, NBA, boxing, UFC, WWE, MotoGP and more. Stream TNT Sports on Discovery Plus or watch TNT Sports channels on BT, Sky and Virgin Media. Subscription required. Age 18 plus. T's and C's apply. That's all for part two. Part three, we'll look back at Monday night's game between Spurs and Fulham. Bereit for unser lautestes Chicken? Der neue McCrispy mit 100% aus dem Hähnchenfilet. Jetzt probieren. Nur bei McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-pst. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, uh, let's pay tribute to Bill Kenwright, Everton chairman, died at the age of 78. He'd been on the board at Everton since 1989. Taking over as chairman uh, at Goodison in 2004, Everton said it was in mourning um, following the death of the club's longest serving chairman for more than a century. The club has lost a chairman, a leader, a friend 
and an inspiration. Uh, he spent 19 seasons as Everton chairman, um, 12 finishes inside the Premier League top eight, fourth place in 2005, uh, FA Cup finalist in 2009. Um, I think his market, what is sad, obviously he did so much for that football club because it ended so acrimoniously. There, there are sort of main memories because of, of recency bias. And it's a really sad way for that to end for someone who did so much for that football club. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, when you kind of, um, sort of see the, the tributes and, and given that you know, Bill Camwright had, you know, he was an actor in Coronation Street, um, producer, London's West End. I, I um, went to see one. I'm not a frequent visitor at all to um, um, sort of the, the West End. You surprised show. me. Yeah, it's not, not really my scene, but I've seen um, Blood Brothers um, and, and really enjoyed it. But, you know, he's getting tributes from Julian Clary and Neville Southall. Um, you know, this is somebody that, um, you know, has touched, you know, a, a, a lot of different um, sort of places. Um, and, Yes, it, it 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 finished badly, but you know, Everton. It it wouldn't have been something that Bill Cameron would have wanted. You know, it wasn't something that he did on purpose. That, that Everton, um, you know, um, were kind of in the position they're in now. And I think that this is uh, and shows kind of how much Premier League and English football has changed. Really, that you kind of did have fans on the board in 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 those times in the late eighties and and even sort of beyond that. And now. Um, you look at the ownership and kind of the way that Premier League teams are going, they're, they're very different. And um, some fans sort of demand that and want, you know, nothing but sort of money being spent on their teams. And, and others, you know, just want kind of a guardian of the club and the, and somebody that has, has got the club's best interests at heart. And I, I always, you know, obviously from the outside, it always felt like that Bill Cameron had Everton's interests at heart, even if things, like I say, didn't end so well. And, you know, Jamie Carragher um, was tweeted about how, you know, Bill Kenwright was, um, you know, a, a strong influence in terms of Hillsborough around sort of every year that, um, that you know, that, that, that Hillsborough um, was commemorated. Um, you know, Everton would play a big part in that. And Bill Kenwright um, was, was a driving force. So, um, you know, th- there's a lot more to football than just kind of results. And so, um, you yeah, know, Southall called for um, respect at a time like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, one or two kind of voices you always get that but from what i've seen on social media uh, it has been respectful from um you know the, the everton fans that i've seen oh uh, yeah we send our, our condolences to his uh family and his friends of course um monday night football uh tottenham beat fulham 2-0 they go back to the top of the premier league last the best start ever for a new manager in the premier league and this felt even though Fulham gifted them the goals in a way, this felt very straightforward, I thought. Yeah, I, I did enjoy uh, Ash Postacoglu being quite critical about the second half. Like it's, it's clear he's not someone who's necessarily just carried away with the results and is focused on, on keeping the performances and keeping standards high. I very much enjoyed the post-match interview with James Madison, who's, uh, who, who, who speaks very well and engagingly about what they're doing and, and how it works. And, and things are just ticking along beautifully. It's a, it's a happy place, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the moment. And... Uh, I don't know if there's a wider lesson to be learned is that the sort of uh, the, the supposed uh, proven winners, the big names, the, the, the these sort of dudes are not necessarily the answer to everything. You, you sometimes you got to hire a manager based on what he's going to do and what rather than what his name is. And uh, that's uh, and I was I, I think I thought a lot about this. I think sort of these sort of 
I think there's an element of cowardice at club CEOs who sort of think, well, if I hire a really big name and I throw loads of millions after this guy who's been in the news a lot and has a big CV and stuff, if it doesn't work out, then he looks stupid. Whereas if you hire someone like Ash Prince and it doesn't work out, then you look stupid. So there's an element of just kind of hiding between the profile of the player, of the guy you've, uh, you've appointed. But in this case, uh, Tottenham have been brave and gone for someone who has less of an established reputation and they've been rewarded because of course the club is completely transformed. Nicky you have already said it's you know we're only nine games into the season so that Tottenham fans shouldn't get carried away but Son and Madison are wonderful together and it feels ludicrous that Kane's departure hasn't had an impact if anything Tottenham are better and it's not just that right it's the manager it's other players etc but you sort of hypothetically wonder how different it would be if it was if he was still there I don't know if that's a daft thing to think about. I should just sort of ride the train of it. But it would be interesting to think. Would they would be they wouldn't would they be as fluid? Would they be better? Would they be worse? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, to some extent, that's a question you can't answer. And it's always hard to think that a team could be worse for and could be um, better. Sorry for losing a player as good as Harry Kane. But I I do think that football transfers are so often sort of treated in this way as like a zero sum game where there has to be a winner and loser. And it's, it is actually just possible that sometimes a move can benefit all parties. I think Harry Kane did need to go somewhere new and to, to freshen things up and to, to have the experiences that he's having getting to play. I mean, I'm very confident Tottenham will be in the Champions League next season if they keep playing the way they are at the moment. But, um, but getting to play in the Champions League right now is, is clearly something that he's been needing to do for, for a while. I mean, Obviously, he got to do that sometimes at Tottenham, but he should, he's, he's a talent who should be there every year. Um, but Tottenham looked brilliant. Tottenham looked really brilliant. And, and I do think that attack would look different with him in it, whether it be better or worse. Who knows, Max? I mean, that comes down to things that I can't say, which is how Ange would have set his team up with those players because he would have done different things because he seems like a very intelligent and excellent manager. But I, I do believe very firmly in sort of the importance of, uh, of like individual dynamics. And I think that having two players who vibe with each other is really important. And clearly Son and Madison vibe with each other and are having fun. I think the schedule police, Max, are, are going to be on to us though if we don't sort of, you know, they, they've sort of overtaken now the <laughs> celebration uh, police. Um, yeah, so Tottenham's schedule has been soft. You know, there's no getting away from the fact that, um, you know, uh, it, it other teams have had it more difficult um, to start the campaign and, you know, maybe in another nine, 10 games, you know, the, the table looks different. I think that will be the big test really for Spurs fans and the players. I think it, it's quite easy to play. Well, it's easier to play this way and to celebrate it when things are going well. If you lose two or three games in a row, you kind of need to hold your nerve and, and sort of still believe in in the process. And you will then get more people going, oh, you know, if Harry Kane was there, you know, we, we would have won this game 1-0 and we've lost it 1-0. Um, and so th- th- there's a lot of that um, at play. I think they are running hot on expected goals, both for and against, um, which is, I suppose, in terms of the four, I mean, Sonner's outshot. He's kind of expected goals for season after season. So, you know, I, I think that just goes to show how good he is. Can Vicario keep up the saves that he's making? He's making some really big ones at the moment, but been a while since Tottenham signings have worked and for Vicario, Udogi, Van der Ven all to come into the team, young ages as well in terms of the outfield players at least there um, and kind of really belong um, at, at the top level is a surprise because Tottenham's transfer dealings for a while had um, 
you know, a lot of their signings have, have not worked out. Um, Gary O'Neill was on Monday Night Football um, after at the weekend saying, this isn't about me. Um, and then he did really show in detail how it kind of was about him, how he showed how uh, Wolves beat Bournemouth. But, you know, that's fair enough. Like, that's what you should do, right? Yeah, no, he's allowed, he's allowed. No, I thought that was a sort of big boy pants moment uh, when he sort of, yeah, beating your former employee, who, employer. <laughs> you shouldn't beat your former no, employees. I mean, no, I think that's, that's just frowned upon. That's, that's, that's a mean and unusual behavior. But yeah, d- defeating his former employers who unceremoniously cast him aside and then going on television and explain how he did it, I think is tremendous. It is. Listen, people are going to make jokes when they eventually lose games. You're not going on TV to explain that, are you? But I I do actually think this kind of stuff is interesting. And it was a really good example of showing the audience and and, and simple souls like myself how they actually work on stuff in training and how that can be executed in games. I thought it was super interesting. I hope we see more of it. Can you you break it down a tiny bit for those people that didn't see it? Like... But there was one specific move, there's one specific movement they were doing in midfield where they were using one player to draw another out of position and moving another one into the empty gap so that they could progress the ball forwards. It's, I'm sure the clip is out there to be on the internet, I, I, I would imagine. But it was it was just a very specific sort of how they were planning to play themselves through uh, Bournemouth and getting past their press and that. And, uh, and, and he showed exact examples of them doing that specific thing in the game. It was really fascinating. And and it made me think of other teams in the league. Like for instance, I I, I would love uh, Rob Edwards, Luton manager, to come on and explain because Luton have been managing better than I think a lot of people expected. Uh, and and I'm kind of fascinated how they play very directly, but they're very good at. They don't just mind that it's not mindless hoofing; it's very mindful hoofing. Uh, I think with Luton, they're quite good at moving the ball into good areas, and it just made me think of all the various Premier League managers who I wish would go on TV and like show clips from training and explain what they do. I think that's a, that's a fabulous genre. If Sky could make more of that happen, I'd be very grateful. Uh, while we're on uh, uh, Bournemouth, um, vaguely, Nick says, "Do you expect Bournemouth to start Jefferson Lerma in their relegation six pointer against Burnley this weekend?" This was after. Um, uh, I won't throw any of my panelists under the bus, but let's call him Paul McInnes, uh, said that uh, Jefferson Lerma was on the bench for Bournemouth when actually he signed for Crystal Palace. Look, I mean, we did get a few sort of Bournemouth fans going, this is absolutely disgraceful, so-called journalists, alleged journalists, etc. There are lots of players, uh, you know, like, <laughs> it's not, you know. Loads of them. There are loads of them. We don't, we can't remember where they all, the whereabouts of Jefferson Lerma are just, they're not, not really high up on my agenda. I should have worked it out, etc., etc. We didn't, we can only apologise. We all know where Jefferson Lerma is now. And and in, in many ways, that has been a victory for all of us. Yes, Lars. I've had a few of those because I was working like up against the transfer window it was very much crunch time in terms of finishing everything to do with the book. So eventually, throughout the autumn, I've had a number of moments where I've got like, "Hey, on, he's there. What what's happened there?" So it's it's pure luck that this happened. Uh, well, luck for me that it happened to McGuinness and not to myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, we've all had our Sergio Ramos moment. We know it. We've all had it, and. You know, it's impossible to get everything right. And that's, you know, like we are proof there. We all get 99.9% right, but that was, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. Savage Vince says, Grimsby's first goal against Colchester in minute detail, please. And how they still turned it around with a stonking deflected shot in slow motion. Anything else is just puff. He says, yeah, this is an own goal of six minutes in where the fullback kind of volleys a back pass. And then it it's sort of quite a plasticky pitch bounce, isn't it? 
And the keeper doesn't expect it. And he heads it up in the air. And then he sort of ends up in the net himself with the ball. It's absolutely what football was made for. Go and find it. It is really, really wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, as producer Joel says, that's probably the most we've ever discussed, Colchester United. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Sean says, has Mark ever tried eggy bread? Yeah, I have. Because um, my wife likes it. But I mean, it, it probably, right. I, mean, I think it's average. Um, you know, if I'm going right. to... You know, I mean, that there are much other, better ways to make use of eggs. Great. Tell us. Uh, poached, fried, scrambled would be yeah. um, sort of the, the, the free standard ways, I suppose, oh, in an omelette. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think eggy bread's um, average. Right. But I mean, what I'm saying is if you were to open the fridge and approach the eggs, what are you doing? If I've got the time, it's definitely poached. Um, yeah, um, yeah. If, if time's against me, it would be fried, um, and if mm-hmm. I, I, I have done the uh, Gordon Ramsay's covered himself in glory um, th- this week, but he's he's um, of course he yeah, has yeah he, uh, um, sort of less of the Ferraris and more of his scrambled egg recipe on YouTube. Um, I, I I do um, follow that um, occasionally. Um, and that re- you won't be surprised to know that it does involve quite a lot of butter um, to kind of right. to, to, Good, to, yeah, to, yeah. to get the scrambled egg perfect. But um, it's poached or fried, really, um, for me. Most right. yeah. Is is the Gordon Ramsay? Is it step one? Get out of your Porsche and walk to the kitchen. Is that? No, that, that, that's, um, that's, I think that might be step two. Um, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, you, you. Fair enough. Thank you, Mark, uh, uh, for indulging us. Uh, Matthew says, hi, Max, Barry, and everyone at the pod. Uh, I just wanted to say a big thank you for your tribute to Bobby Charlton on Monday, Monday's episode. As a Manchester United fan since the 80s, it really meant a lot to hear more anecdotes about the great man to add to those from the last couple of days. One thing I really wanted to say is that I'm grateful that you revisited the talk of dementia and highlighted how much more needs to be done in terms of research and support for both retired and current players. It's particularly important to me as my dad, Trevor, passed away from dementia of March of this year, less than four years after he was diagnosed. He had a brilliant scientific mind. He was a doctor of chemistry and worked in that field for over 40 years, but all of that disappeared once the condition took hold. One of the loves that we shared was sport, in particular football and cricket, and whenever we catch up by phone or in person, we talk about the latest results and brilliant games as well as any dodgy decisions. As an Arsenal fan, he was the black sheep of the family with both his father and grandfather being season ticket holders at Old Trafford back in the day. But if anything, this made our chats even more interesting while we argued about who was the better team, especially back in the 90s and early 2000s. Sadly, all of this slowly went over the last couple of years, along with everything else. And then all of a sudden, about a year ago, I asked him what he thought of the latest Arsenal game. His reply was that he hadn't seen it. He said that, in fact, he wouldn't have watched it anyway because he didn't like football. It broke my heart, but that is the horrible reality of dementia, as I'm sure so many other listeners can attest to. And that brings my final thank you, which is for the moments of humour and silliness that the pod brings alongside the great analysis and insight. I've listened since Jimbo was in the chair at these last six months or so. It's been really valuable to be able to escape every few days and have a laugh for an hour. So thank you very much. With love and appreciation, Matthew, P.S. Dogs are amazing, and I won't hear a word said against them. It's a very dog-friendly panel we have today, Matthew. Thank you for your email. We really appreciate it. Football Weekly at theguardian.com. We send you our best wishes, of course, and that'll do for today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks. Thanks, Lars. God, I had loads of tube stations as dogs lined up. I guess we can't do that now. That's a disaster. Thank oh, you very go on much, then. everyone. Go on, then. Go on, then. Well, go so, on then, some Lars. of them are... I mean, If you've done the work... Jack Russell Square is good. Hounslow Central. A German Shepherd's Bush works. Uh, Cockfoster Spaniel, <laughs> I think, is very good. Uh, Liverpool Street. 
Uh, Golden Retrievers Green, uh, um, Swiss Mountain Dog Cottage, uh, Great Dane Portman Street, uh, Border Colliers Wood, and Labrador Brook Grove. I think it's very. <laughs> I'm happy with that one. If anyone is still listening, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer <laughs> Dan- is Danielle Grove. Stevens. We'll be- shut up, Lars. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.